On this episode of Eager to Know, something different. Mommy's gone and the kitchen is covered with red paint. We discuss Joan Risch, a married stay-at-home mother of two from Lincoln, Massachusetts, who disappeared in 1961. Nobody knows what happened. Then tell us about the library. This is so bizarre. Everybody said that she was uh, staggering as she was walking. She looked dazed. Some friends and I discussed the case and our thoughts on what may have happened. 25 books in one summer about murders or disappearances. Not too much. And then zip, take off the trench coat. I'm in a pretty dress. I'm ready to rock. We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McEachran, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. On this episode of Eager to Know, we are going to do something completely different. Um, We are going to talk about a case of a missing woman that I found out about probably five years ago. And I don't know how I had not ever heard of this because it actually happened in the suburbs of Boston, but I found out about it. I thought it was the most fascinating story ever. So we are going to talk about it. Um, I have two guests with me. I have my friend Alex, who lives around the corner, my my neighbor. Hello. And then we have Nadine Bailey, who lives outside of Boston. In fact, I think you might live close to where this situation happened. Um, Nadine and I have known each other since we were in kindergarten. Yes. Um, we just, <laughs> before this recording started, we actually just got caught up. We haven't seen or t- we're, we're chatting via Skype, but we haven't connected since high school, probably. Yeah. But that's beside the point. Yeah. So, um, Nadine, and you're a lawyer, is that correct? Correct. Okay, so you will have a potentially a some insight about this case, or, or you'll be able to answer some questions that we might have. So I think what we want to start is, Nadine, if you just want to take us through the, the story of Joan Risch. Okay, well, Joan Risch was actually Joan Bard, uh, originally when she was born in New York in 1930, to Harold and Josephine Bard. Um, she moved to New Jersey at a young age, uh, about nine years old, uh, in about the year 1940, and her parents, subsequently, after the move to New Jersey, died uh, in a mysterious fire. Uh, there's little known about that incident. Was educated in 1952. She uh, graduated from Wilson College in Pennsylvania in, uh, with a degree in English literature. Which uh, I'm went- saying in 1952, I would say I would think that's not that common for a woman to graduate from college. No, and I think the time frame of when this happened is important when you look at the theories of what happened to her. Okay. And um, you have to use that mindset when thinking about what happened, as you'll see as we go through the story. Um, because what a woman in the 1950s or born in that era, because she went missing in 1961. She was 31 years old when she went missing. Um, that's important to just keep in mind when you start asking, well, maybe this happened, maybe that happened. Sure. But yes, she was uh, very well educated. Um, she started out as a secretary with a, a publishing company, and then she became a supervisor for a pool of you know admin assistants in the publishing company. And where and where she, was that? That was also in uh, New York. New York um, City. Okay. And 
Yep. And she ended up meeting her husband, who was an executive of a publishing company um, at a Harvard football game. They got married and they moved to Ridgefield, Connecticut, where they had their first child, Lillian, uh, in 1959. And then um, they had their son, David, um, who was, I believe, two years old at the, at the time she disappeared. And then after the birth of both children, they subsequently moved to Lincoln, Massachusetts, which is where this story takes place. Um, she, um, the day of the disappearance was October 24th, 1961. Her husband, Martin, had uh, gotten up earlier in the day to catch a flight to New York City. He was going on a business trip, and he was going to be uh, returning, I think, the following Monday. So this happened over a weekend. Um, he took a car to Logan Airport, which is the airport in Boston. What do you mean? And, what do you mean uh, it happened over a week? The the incident uh, happened on I, a Monday, right? I think I, he left on a Monday morning with the intention of staying over Monday and returning on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. It says staying overnight in Manhattan. Okay, I, I don't know why I thought it was a weekend. With this whole plague thing going on, I don't even know what day it is myself, so I don't know. Um, and one thing I just want to interject, Nadine, I just want, yeah. for people listening who aren't familiar with Lincoln, Massachusetts, uh, yeah. Lincoln, Massachusetts, it's a really nice town. It's a suburb yes. of Boston. Um, yes. I would say it's a very, like, historic town. Um, I would say that back at that point, it would have been definitely a, um, like, a upper middle class Yep. Um, suburb of Boston. Right. At the time, the house they moved into uh, in Lincoln was a, a newer home, you know, modern. So they were doing, you know, well for themselves. Yep. And as a matter of fact, um, she was said to be a very generous woman because the morning she went missing, before she went missing, uh, she dropped her son uh, across the street or next door to a neighbor's house, uh, Barbara Baird or Barn. Barbara Barker, sorry, Barker. And uh, she left her son there with the Barkers, and she took her daughter, Lillian, to a dentist appointment. The dentist was recommended to her by a college friend. She had this dentist appointment for her daughter, who was four at the time. She took her to the dentist office, and while there, she also paid um, on the account for her foster sister. So she was very generous, it has been said, with her money, very kind woman. She had volunteered, like, for the... League of Women Voters and um, some other types of, um, um, you know, parental type of responsibilities in the uh, Lincoln area for her children. So uh, not not a flake, not a flake. This no, is not, she's not, this a is flake. not a flake. She she held it down. You know, she loved her children. She loved her family reportedly. But remember, again, this time there was no such thing as a woman complaining about not liking a home life. You just mm -hmm. didn't. And if and if. It started to happen in the 60s, but it wasn't really full-blown women expressing themselves in the early 1960s. It would right. it'd become later on. Okay, so that's that's important to keep in mind because yep. at the time of her um, when they interviewed witnesses, nobody ever complained. Nobody ever uh, said they ever heard her complain about married life or the fact that she uh, left what was a right. kind of high position at that time for a woman to hold and she missed a single life or anything like that. But then again, like I said, I don't know if that's something really a woman would say at right. that time. So know? let's get back to the story. <clears throat> so okay, the so, husband leaves Monday morning. Yep. She, she's, uh, in the drops the kids off. I, mm -hmm. I mean, does, um, does errands goes yep. to the dentist yep. with the two yep. kids. She, 
Yep, she. So she, um, after the dentist, she takes her daughter on a very short uh, shopping trip to a department store, and then she comes back to her home, and while she's there, the milkman and the mail were delivered. Okay. Um, however, well, let me take that back. The, the milk and the mail were delivered while she wasn't there, and supposedly. Four letters arrived that day, but they were never taken out of the mailbox. They remained in the mailbox, which was unusual. Um, she went back to the Barker's house. She picked up her son, David, and she took them back to the, her house at about 1115. While she's at the house, a delivery driver for her, a dry cleaning company, drops off some shirts that, for her, that were her husband's and reported later on that he didn't see anything out of the ordinary when he was in the house because he let himself in. Um, she changed from her formal clothes that she took her daughter to the dentist in, and she had on like um, a blue house dress with white sneakers. It just goes to show you that they wore house dresses then. And uh, she made lunch for her children roughly about 12 o'clock, and then she laid the little one down for his nap that routinely didn't go past 2 o'clock. Um, then at about 1 p.m., Barbara Barker, the neighbor who she had left her son with earlier yep. in the day, uh, Joan did, brought her son Douglas back over to the Rish's house to play with Lillian, who was also four years old. Um, and they were supposed to stay there and play. Um, but while they were at the Rish's house, this is where it gets interesting. While they're at the Rish's house, Joan takes both children, Lillian and David, uh, Lillian and Douglas, Okay, so Ms. Barker's uh, son brings them back to the Barker's home, but doesn't go in and tell um, Mrs. Barker, hey, it's Joan, I'm here, I just got to drop the kids off for a second, I got to do something. But she does tell uh, Lillian and Douglas, I'll be right back. And Barbara Barker later sees Joan in the yard with, um, she comes in and out with some, um, she has, like, I think it's cheers. She had shears in her hand, and she saw her out and about in the yard, and she saw her walk back into the garage at some point with the shears. She doesn't put two and two together that Joan has dropped the kids off at her house, and the kids are at her house. She just thinks the kids are at right. Joan's house, and Joan's just doing something around the yard. The two children playing in a swing set never saw um, Joan in or around the house. But wait a minute. When the kids were little, though. They were like four, four. and four. Okay. The, these kids walk back and forth. It's like, um, you know, it was like when we were growing up, though. You could do that back yeah. then. But this is even earlier than that. I right. mean, I think it was way more frequent. And they lived next to each other. The only thing that separated their house, they didn't have a fence, but they had like a, a living fence with trees. So it was just easy to pass in and, sure. in or, in or out. Um, at some point... Mrs. Barker sees Joan. Now, this is about 2.15 p.m., and I don't think she's picked up the fact that the kids are actually at her house. Mrs. Barker sees Joan carrying something, like with her hands out extended away from her, carrying something that looks like it was red, and she has a trench coat over her. And she's walking, I think, from her car towards the garage. And at the time, she... Mrs. Barker thinks that Joan's just chasing the kids. Um, that was the last time Joan was seen alive, was that time frame, 2.15 on October 24th, 1961. With her arms uh, outstretched in a trench coat, carrying something red. Red, yes. Okay. Yes. 
Now, that was around 2.15. So hold on. So full yeah. stop. So Alex, do you have any question? Alex is sort of hearing this for the first the time. First, well, how yeah. would you not know that you have two, two four-year-olds in your house? I mean, they're not quiet. I, they're not. They're not. They were supposed to be playing on the swings. I don't, I, I just don't know. She told them she'd come back and she didn't. <laughs> and okay. they, her and dad was playing the swing set and they could never see. I mean, I don't know how far back or how the house is positioned that maybe yeah. the mother is inside doing something. And because she didn't expect the kids to be there, maybe she wasn't listening for them. I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I, okay. I, Alex is right. I don't know how you do that. Okay. Um, I just find it hard so, to believe that if there's two four year olds and they're at your house, that you wouldn't know. Okay. Oh, okay. By that time, somebody would have gotten hurt by now and come screaming, crying. Yeah. I mean, that, it, it was if it was if yeah, right. it would have been right. that way. But um, okay. So about three fifteen is an hour. An hour goes by, and this uh, young girl gets off the bus stop. It's another neighborhood kid. She gets off the bus stop, and she reports seeing an unfamiliar car. It's like a GM Motor car, and it's two toned. It's dirty. It's two toned balloon. It's dirty. And she sees it either back out of the driveway of her house or the Rish's house. She doesn't and remember. No, she couldn't see where it was. The car was coming because there, the, those driveways are also next to each other. So by the angle, she couldn't tell whose driveway it was coming out of, and she wasn't okay. really paying attention. Yeah. Um, but when Mrs. Barker figured out that um, Lillian was at her house, she took Lillian back to the Rish's home at about 3.40 because she was going to take her kids to go out shopping with her. Okay. And um, mm -hmm. she believed that Joan was still in her house sure. at the time. Sure. So she just dropped Lillian off, which is odd, but she, four-year-old, just drops her off. And when she returns at 4.15 from her shopping trip with her kids, Lillian comes back to the Barker's home and says, Mommy's gone, and the kitchen is covered with red paint. Okay. And so, Barbara Barker goes back over with Lillian, and upon entering the house, she hears little David crying in his crib. She runs to him first, sees that his diaper needs to be changed, and when she steps a little more into the house, she sees that the red paint is, in fact, what appears to be blood, and she calls the police. Okay. So I'm going to describe what I know about what they found. Okay. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. There was, and there's photo, we'll po I'll post photos of this. Um, so there was um, the phone. It was one of those phones that was on the wall. Yeah. And the with, you know, the handle that with the cord and it was ripped off. The, the phone cord was ripped off the phone. Yep. There was a phone book that was open to the emergency numbers there was a trash barrel there was a little bit of blood mm -hmm. um there was a trash barrel in the middle of the kitchen and there were two beer empty beer cans and i think there was a liquor bottle of some sort yeah. Yeah. um and then there was blood in the little boys room a little there was not a lot of blood anywhere there was a little bit of blood in the boys room there was like a drop of blood on the middle of the hood of the car, which is yes. very bizarre. Yep. And there was a drop of blood, I think, like on the driveway. And mm -hmm. I think that's it. Am I missing anything? There was some blood, um, kitchen walls and floor, some on that phone. There were three bloody uh, fingerprints that were unidentified. Um, 
the blood in the kitchen that you described, there was a roll of paper towels that looked like it had been used to wipe up some of the blood that was in the kitchen floor. There was some on the clothing of David. Oh a, a, there was a pair of like baby's overalls or coveralls that were in the kitchen, and it looked like they, that something had been sitting on top of those little baby overalls that had some weight to it because there was blood left on those overalls. And then there was some blood that was found uh, on the steps, the first step of the stairway, on the top of the steps, and eight blood drops in the master bedroom and one in the children's bedroom. Okay. So we can fast. So obviously they contact um, her husband in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. He comes back. um, And really, it's just a mystery. Like there's really not there was some some additional information um, that you disclosed about, you know, people afterwards um, saw a car, but there was really nothing substantial that was found other than the library stuff. But I want to get to that in a second. Besides the is there anything besides the library stuff of significance that you think we should discuss? The fact that there were no bloody footprints was found to be very interesting because it showed that there wasn't a lot of blood. Because if there were, you would see people or whoever was at the house at the time walking through it and that it was whoever was bleeding or whatever was bleeding wasn't uh, like a grievous injury. It was something more superficial is what the uh, detective said afterwards. Gotcha. Okay. So really, it was just a mystery. Like there was yeah. a mystery. It, no one knew. There was no, there was just no information. No. Okay. And then... And, um, you know, just a grieve the husband with now has two kids. He is, you know, expecting his wife to come home. He he doesn't nobody knows what happened. Then tell us about the library. This is so bizarre. Okay, so I don't know how it started, but there was a local reporter who went. I guess she must have heard about something similar happening somewhere else. So she goes to the town's public library uh, to research the backgrounds of similar cases. And when she looks in these books that she finds... Of similar cases. Yes, similar cases. Like, I think there was a a disappearance of Brigham Young's 27th wife. Okay, so I think that's what she originally went there to go look at. And when she took those books out, she had seen that Joan Rish had checked out the book about the disappearance of Brigham Young's 27th wife in September 1961. So one month before she disappeared. Um, So then she kept looking in in another book called Into Thin Air uh, about a woman like Rish who had left behind bloody smears in the towel when she went missing. Um, She found Rish's signature in in the checkout card for that book. Um, she reported her findings to the newspaper and then a group of, this is crazy, a group of voluntary library uh, workers went through their records and found that Rich was a regular borrower there, Joan Rich, and that in the summer of 1961, before she died, or, or, or missing, disappeared, okay, <laughs> that she had taken out 25 books in the summer of 1961, many of which had to do with murders. Or missing persons cases. <laughs> Including some situations that were similar to hers. Yes. And they say that she is the original Gone Girl. That's what she, during this investigation, I guess that movie Gone Girl. Um, that I don't, um, I don't, I don't oh, know. I've heard of it. but Ben Affleck is in it. And um, Olivia, she's married to the guy. 
from the office. I can't remember her name, but she's in it and she plays an alcoholic. She does a bang up job. I mean, she does a really great job, but, um, oh no, wait a minute. I'm thinking the wrong movie. That's not the right movie. Ben Affleck's in it, but it's a very, very good book. It's about a woman who ends up going missing, but she ends up, I don't want to say the rest of it, but she ends up going missing. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean that 25 books in one summer. Okay. So is there any other, any other detail? So at this point, no one's ever, no one knows what happened to this woman to this day. No, they never found out. Suspect only, but it was no. I shouldn't even say a suspect. There's a person of interest. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, there was a man. Oh, I guess he's from East Walpole, where <laughs> I live. I live in Walpole. He uh, <laughs> his his name is Robert Foster. Um, he was a um, histor- person from the Minuteman National Historic Park, and he was canvassing the neighborhoods because. The area where uh, the Richards live, like you had said earlier, that area is a, has a lot of historical value. And they were scouting out land to uh, take over uh, to make the uh, Minuteman National Historic Park. And so um, they, he had been going from house to house um, uh, at, on, on behalf of the National Park Service as a purchasing agent, visiting homes to discuss the project with the people that lived in the neighborhood. And um, some of the women that were housewives, when he came in, felt like he had overstayed his welcome when he knocked on each door. Interesting. Um, I had never heard this. Yeah. Yep. So um, he's still around? I don't know. He, I think, I believe he died in, I don't know, actually, no, that was the, that was the chief of police who died. He died in uh, 2009, the same year as Martin Risch died, um, Joan Risch's husband. But um, they had... He had told the investigators that he had gone out to lunch um, with uh, some fellow uh, co-workers and I think like two civil engineers who were also working on the project and they all were able to verify uh, his whereabouts throughout okay. that day. So he okay. was eliminated. But ultimately, this is a it's a mystery. I mean, he he um, I know that the the husband lived in that. Well, the house moved, got moved because, as you yeah. mentioned, it's a historical area. Um, they actually moved the house to put in like the Minuteman National Park or something. Yes. But he lived in the home with his kids. They were raised there. They never left the town. So what do you think, Nadine? What do you think happened? I have my thoughts, but I want to know what so you think. So there were some eyewitnesses had seen somebody, a woman, that fit the description of Joan wearing clothes of the same type that they all three witnesses said that this was a woman that was um, wearing a trench coat over some clothes. Um, two of the sightings, two of the witnesses saw her walking along 128 and one saw her work, who they thought was her, walking around, uh, along Route 2A. And 128, um, for everyone listening, is like the big highway around Boston that goes right through that area. Right. And they were still doing a lot of digging that highway was still being um, constructed, so to speak, and there was still a lot of, um, you know, dug up sand piles and dirt and whatever other substance they were putting into the construction of the road, like deposited various flanks of the, along the highway. Um, and they all reported seeing a woman at around the same time frame, which was about 2.15, 2, 3 o'clock, which would have been after the time that uh, Joan took the two kids back over to the Barker's house, her daughter um, Lillian and uh, Douglas. So they would be back over there, but then she was supposed to be staying home with her son, David, who was supposed to be taking a nap. So it would have only been her and David at that point. Um, 
in the house while her daughter was with the next door neighbor's son. Based on the limited amount of blood that they found, uh, oh, well, let me step back. I think one of the witnesses that saw her on 128 uh, said that she had blood running down her legs. Um, and uh, everybody said that she was uh, staggering as she was walking. She looked dazed. Nobody stopped for some reason, but um, she looked dazed, staggering, or in, or she was holding herself or holding something like she was cold or she was holding something in her arms while she was walking. So I had a couple of theories was one that maybe she was pregnant. The baby was maybe that of somebody else's other than her husband's. And she didn't want to tell him. And she took the opportunity to either end the pregnancy while her husband was away and the kids were out of the house um, so she could do that. Or she Mm. was pregnant and had a miscarriage and went into shock or something at the loss of blood or or just the state of the baby that had been stillborn or whatever. And that was... um, caused her to go into some type of shock or depression or something, psychosis. Um, and that could have been the thing that the neighbor saw her carrying with her yeah. arms outstretched um, that looked red. That's exactly what I thought. Well, I thought yeah. I was assuming miscarriage. I was yeah. not assuming, um, I, I, I assumed it was miscarriage. I was assuming that something wasn't feeling right, which yeah. is why she told the kids to go across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't, I'm assuming a miscarriage wouldn't have a lot of blood. Um, and she probably was in, sh- went into shock and yeah. didn't, you know, didn't think to, dr- to drive, like was maybe she was going to walk to that. I think there's a hospital near there. Isn't it St. Elizabeth's hospital right near there? It's in that area, but I mean, maybe yeah. she was going to wa- what maybe she was in shock or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know that there's been, you, you always say, well, why didn't she do this? Why didn't she call the police then? Why didn't she do this? And I've been in some situations where something very unexpected happened and I was eating my own words because sometimes you just go into such a shock, like, what do I do now? Whereas if it wasn't you that was happening to you, you'd be like, oh, you just do this or do that, call the police, you know, don't call your husband first, call the police or whatever. By all accounts, if that was her who they saw walking bent over as she was shivering or holding something that would indicate, you know, shock. And there's been times when women, if they're giving birth, she obviously delivered it naturally. She had to have pushed. Maybe when she pushed, she, it was an aneurysm or something. And I know that that can happen when you're giving birth naturally. And and, in those cases now they can detect whether or not a woman has a condition that would cause them to um, stay away from having a vaginal birth and therefore they'll elect to have or uh, recommend a C-section. But if it's happening spontaneously in her house and she's alone and she thinks it's maybe a stomachache, maybe she didn't realize she was pregnant, depending on how far along she was. Um, or maybe she was waiting to tell her husband and she, she wanted pregnancy to be alone. I don't know. But, you know, if she had to push out a baby very well, she could have um, injured herself, you know, and had some type of, um, uh, something neurological happened that would cause her to go into like maybe a stroke. And um, as she was walking down the highway, yeah. this unfinished highway, she could have stumbled and fell into a ditch and 
they finished the highway and paid everything over her. Yeah, that, that's, that is one of the theories because 128 was under construction right in that very close to her home. Yeah. And that she could have. Yep. So yep. one thing that is interesting. Um, so in the trash barrel, they found uh, two. They, they found I don't remember the details, but I remember there was yeah. some alcohol that they had ingested together. The, her and her husband the mm -hmm. night before. Mm -hmm. I think it was like a, an empty bottle, bottle of vodka. Of but then there yes. was a strange beer can that the husband did not know where that came from. Right. So that's, so there's that. Then yes. there's also um, the whole idea that we talked about originally of this was very much a, um, it seemed like a very career ambitious, focused, uh, ambitious career focused woman who was yes. now a housewife in 1962 and potentially could be very unhappy. And then there was all this stuff about the books and the, yes. you know, researching, making this, you know, re researching ways or creating a disappearance. I mean, do yes. you think that, what do you think about that? What do you, Alex, what do you think? I think it's very far-fetched to think that she had a spontaneous birth or whatever happened and she got into a kind of some sort of psychotic state walked along 128 and was fallen into a ditch and was buried alive or whatever. I just find that very hard to believe. I mean, it's right. amazing. However, okay. I think it's more likely that she probably was doing a little bit of acting. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it's very strange to think, oh, and they just, they just built her into the highway and she's part of the highway now. <laughs> I mean, that's an amazing legend of Joan Rush, you know. But I think it's, it's very, very hard to believe. So I think probably she was kind of fed up with her situation. She kind of played up this whole, like, I have to create a way to disappear. Mm -hmm. And so she just created this fantasy where she dropped a little bit of blood here in the cart, you know, mm -hmm. to make a little bit of a mystery. She put blood all over the place. Her babies are fine. One's asleep in his little crib. One's with a neighbor. She's like, okay, I'm taking a pass on this life. I'm not doing this life. I've created this whole scenario. I'm going to execute the scenario now. And she probably had an escape plan somewhere. She got into a car and she left the scene. She's never been seen again. So yeah. that's true. That is yeah. unbelievable. That would be unbelievable. It is. And, you know, if it hadn't been for those books, that story about her having a spontaneous birth, that paints a, I don't know how to say this, a more likable presentation yeah. for her disappearance than the reality, which is what, which would be, like Alex said, she was done. She didn't, this was not the life she wanted. She was, didn't want to have any more children. She didn't want to be married. She wanted to go back to that life, but she still loved her family. So she created this uh, scenario yeah. that would leave the children sad, the husband sad, but she wouldn't be looked upon as a pariah. Like she had deserted her kids and it would be less right. hurtful for them if she had yeah. died like that. So it seems like she probably planned it like in the summer. She's 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 had the idea like I'm I really can't do this anymore. Is it a woman of limited resources? Nineteen sixty one without her own. She probably didn't have her own bank account. I don't know, you know. So she had to think about how am I going to get out of this? And she's probably very yeah. bright. And she's like, I'm going to research how this is possible, and I'm going to create a scenario that's going to leave a lot of mysteries and just disappear. And she's probably out there somewhere else. I mean, she's probably what she's well, she's if she's alive now, she's in her eighties. She has a different name, you know, blah blah blah. So, maybe she lives in Walpole right now. We don't know. <laughs> God, wouldn't that be awful or Do fun? Do you know any, or... any women around the neighborhood who are like 85 years old right now? 
there are. No. <laughs> Wait, how old would she be, she'd right, be 90 now? right now? Okay, she was born in 1930. She'd be 90. Yeah, she'd be like my dad's age. So, <clears throat> yeah. Wow. I just don't buy the whole like, oh my god, I'm having a baby. Oh wait, I'm gonna put. There's a lot of. I think if you have a, if you have a spontaneous birth, there's a lot of fluid that's gonna happen. So, right. So, Am I right? I mean, I'm not yeah. a woman. I've never no, given birth. No, but... and they measured the amount of blood. And the other thing too, I did want to mention is that if it, I don't know if they kept any of that blood evidence, and I don't know what it, they were. Well, 1961, they should have been coming around. They would collect evidence. You can test blood. Um, to see how much it has of a um, uh, hormone called HCG in it, yeah. and the, you can you can by testing the blood you, you can it's a it's a hormone that's produced during pregnancy. Okay, it depends on how far along the pregnancy is, um, more of that um, chemical will be in the woman's body. So to rule out the pregnancy, if they had kept any blood that could be still tested and that hasn't been um, you know, um, contaminated in any manner, they could eliminate that. Or maybe they have and the kids or the husband, they didn't want to tell them or they did tell them and they've never come out and said it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think if, if you're Mr. Rich and this is, this happened, you don't want to tell. You probably want to live no. the fantasy. Like, yeah, she just disappeared. I don't know. Rather than I find out she left me. I don't want to say that. Yeah. It's, Painful, but it would yeah. be very painful for the children and the husband. Yeah. So what do you think? I'm, I'm curious about your opinion, Nadine, being a mom and a wife. And like, what do you think that and like um, you live in Walpole. So you like mm -hmm. you live. Obviously, your situation is very different than yeah. a, a mom in 1962. May but I like, interrupt a second? Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. I don't know you, Nadine, at all. But I think, I mean, you're living today. You have your career. You've made choices that mm -hmm. I don't think that Joan had to make. You know, she, no, wasn't, she right. didn't have those choices, so she was trapped in a way that I don't right. think you, I don't know you very well, but I think as a woman You're living right. at seven, sixty years ago, I think it's totally different. Absolutely. So she probably had to say, how can I escape this trap that I'm in? I they, just don't want right. to do this, you know? You're right. There, there, there aren't as many choices. Like we're communicating right now through a computer, Skype, you know, you can work from home, um, telecommute, you can... Um, go in part time. They back then, there weren't that many avenues for a woman to be able to do something like that with the projection her career was going in, and and she might have just did what she thought she had to do because that's what women did. They went and got married after they graduated high school and they had babies and they stayed at home and they raised their family. And or you became uh, a nurse, or and and if you went to college, you either were a nurse or a teacher. Yeah. And, and that was it. Like, I don't think a woman went to college to go into business. I, the one thing is that, and I'm not saying it can't happen. I just could never leave my son. No. I could never leave him. Um, but that's not, I mean, I know that there are women who um, didn't fake a disappearance that have not wanted to fulfill those motherly roles have changed their mind and have left their family to right. either because they've met somebody else or they just didn't want a family anymore. Um, yeah, completely. I mean, I think a lot of people think that every mom has this extremely strong maternal instinct yeah. like you do and like my yeah. mom did and your mom yeah. did. I think there there's probably a lot of women that have children that may not have that. And right. I feel bad saying this because we don't know this person. Yeah. Um, but so I, you know, I do feel a little bad, a, a bad speaking about her, but 
we don't really know. And you know, it's not you know I'm not her children. I, I I'm not in their shoes. I'm not judging either. But in that time, that's what you were supposed to do when you're a woman. You you really didn't have many options. And I could imagine that at the time she was going to college, she probably got a lot of pushback on, well, why aren't you married? Because I still got that pushback in like the 1990s when I uh, well I graduated in '86. And then I went to work for a couple of years and then I went to law school and everybody wanted to know, why don't you have a boyfriend? Why aren't you engaged? When are you get married? You know, and then once you get married, when are you having a kid? Right. And then you have a kid. It's like the only thing they don't ask you is when, when are you going to be dying? You know, it's like <laughs> they rush you through life. Yeah. Um, so back then, while she's in college, she must have really been yeah. hearing it a lot. So I, that might be a reason why she thought she should stop pursuing her career and said, well, I, I should be getting married. So that's maybe why she did it. And like I said, you're not – the fact that she's so unusual in the sense that she's ahead of her times back then, going to college, having a career for herself, she might have felt like, um, okay, I, I've got to buckle down and I've got to uh, get married and do the things that you're supposed to do when you're a woman, that my mom did, my mom's mom did, my aunts do, or what have yeah. you, my cousins. Um yeah, that makes com- that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, complete sense. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think she, I don't think that she's that happens. And but now as a woman, you can do that, and you don't. I mean, some people are going to criticize you. You always have those people, but it's easier for you to do. Like Alex said, it's easier for you to have a career or to not have a career. Yeah, you have more choices now as a woman mm-hmm. um, than you did back. You know, when she had gone to college. I mean, it's really very novel back then for yeah. her to. Uh, you know, started to do what she was doing. Yeah, it is interesting because I, I know having, um, I mean, right now I'm like a full-time artist, so I'm not engaged in like corporate America anymore, but I was. And, uh, you know, obviously I worked with um, very senior, high-performing women in roles. And I'm thinking, what would this person be doing with this same brain who was, mm-hmm. you know, in Joan yeah. Rish's day, like literally, yeah. what would you be doing with this, yeah. you know, very aggressive, competitive brain and your mm-hmm. home raising two kids like that would have been how does that work? What would you have been doing? Um, so I can see that. But I guess the, the, the question I have is let's just assume that that was what she did. So what was she thinking? Like, did she set up a new uh, can you set up a new identity in 1962? I mean, yeah. w- what has happened? I'll tell you a story, well, oh. if, I, if I may interrupt you. Yeah. yeah, no, go ahead, Alex. I've been talking too much. No, 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 please. <laughs> I think it's interesting because I've been reading The Hours recently again. And I don't know if you ever have read The Hours, but no, there's I a haven't. story similar to this where there's a housewife in 1957. She's living the dream with her husband and her son. She disappears from the house. She goes to Canada, changes her name, starts to work in the library because she's like, I don't want this. So when I start telling me the story about Joan Rich, I'm thinking about the character from The Hours okay. who did exactly what we're speculating, that she's like, this is a life for somebody else. It's not mine. Yeah. And I have no way out other than to just disappear or commit mm-hmm. suicide. And suicide mm-hmm. is like obviously a very difficult choice for, mm-hmm. every, for a lot of reasons. Um, so it's much easier to say, okay, my baby's okay. My little daughter's okay. They will be okay. Mm-hmm. I need to make my life better for me. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take steps. Yes, I can move away, create a new identity, and go on with my life. And it'll be very difficult, but it'll happen. Yeah, and maybe she thought that her husband would just remarry. 
you know That's what I mean? True. Or something mm-hmm. like that. Because men get married again. Men don't like right. to be single. Yeah. Well, he men, didn't, but yeah. He didn't? Okay. He didn't, but yeah, normally they do. Like, they don't miss a beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. he, he seemed, from what I've read, like a nice, uh, stable guy, a good provider, a loving father. Um, he loved her clearly very much. I mean, he, they didn't even change their phone number in case she ever called. Oh, Isn't that sad? Isn't that touching? Oh. Yeah, really it really touching. is. But we don't know yeah. what she was thinking. I'm I'm speculating that she didn't really, she wasn't really plugged into that world. She was like, yeah. I didn't, this is, I just, it's, imagine living that life and you're thinking, there's no way out. I'm just going to die here. You know, I'm going to get older. My kids are going to have, I have to be with these kids till they're 18. Then they're going to have kids. I'm going to be the grandmother. And she's like feeling really trapped and just like, I need to escape and live. And maybe right. she, just, she made a plan over the few summer months and she made it happen. And good for her, I think. I agree with you. I I think that because of the times, the expectation was that she settle down and have a family. And when she tried to do what she wanted to do by going to college, she must have gotten a lot of pushback. Right. And she was tired of hearing it. And she might have caved to the peer pressure. Yeah. And then when she did that, she regretted it. Yeah. Okay. I believe that totally. All right. So Nadine, are you what? Do you, are you on the fence about this, or do you uh, do you have a an opinion either way about what you think happened? I agree with Alex. I think she planned it. You I mean, do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty five books in one summer about murders or disappearances, and she, you know she was smart. Okay, she was educated and stuff, but she was um, she used a lot of smarts by seeing being seen in public staggering around with blood down running down her legs. I mean, I think she was trying to convey that she was having a baby, but when she stabbed herself or whatever she did to get her own blood. Obviously, that's very difficult to do but, to injure yourself. So that's why there wasn't a lot of blood. You would have a lot more blood if she had a baby, even if it was a miscarriage. All right. Well, I mean, I think that if she was going to do the whole act of staggering, what if someone stopped to help her? What if someone called an ambulance or a whole plan would have been blown? I think she like, what, what did she that. have an arranged pickup oh, yeah. on Route 2? I'm sure she did. I'm sure she went it, down the That might have been the car. Yeah, I'm sure she had it planned oh. out. To the she had a car down the embankment. She's like, I need to be yep. seen, but not too much. And then zip, take off the trench yes. coat. I'm in a pretty dress. I'm ready to rock. Okay, and that's so interesting. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm not sure what I think. I'm not sure. It's 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 very interesting. Though. Isn't it an amazing, really? amazing story? And I don't know how I have never heard of this my whole time growing up in Either. Burlington. Yeah. Isn't that weird? And I... I love those Dateline and 2020 stories about mysteries and stuff like that. And uh, I've never heard of the story ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I don't know what else we can say on this. Is there anything else? I think it's just a... I think kudos to Joan Rich for escaping. All right. Well, well to tie it in with your creativity aspect of Eager to Know, it was a very creative way if, if she's staged her own disappearance to do so. Yeah. She would be considered the the original Gone Girl. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, definitely. That was and you know, if that me. if that was the case, yeah. that was I, I guess she, well done. I, I hope mean, it was worth it. The other I end. mean, yeah, that's that would be she really because there's, no yeah, there's, there's no going back. There's no going back. There's no going back. Yeah, there is no going back. So. Unless she does that ancestry thing and she puts in her DNA. Because <laughs> they find people like that. Yeah. That's how they find people. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. People are given up for adoption or abandoned babies. They have been able to find um, their you oh, know, cousins know 
and then they find their parents. Oh yeah, that's how they found the um, that serial killer in California, the um, Golden Coast killer or whatever. What is his name? Is Joseph uh, Angelo or D'Angelo? Okay. Yeah, that's how they found him. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh so God, look that up. That is so interesting. Uh, I will definitely check that up. Yeah. Well, Alex and Nadine, thank you. This was awesome. I just, I just, uh, I don't know how the three of us got together. I, I, but I kind of thought of, I wanted to talk to someone and I don't even know Nadine, how I thought to reach out to you. It's, I don't know either, but you did. How did that, I think it was, something, oh, I did comment on one of your podcasts. Did right. You but I don't comment? know why I would have thought that you would have been a good, the perfect person to discuss this with since this I is, haven't spoken to you in 40 years. This is Rick's obsession. I know. But I you were because this was great. I might, I might have posted on Facebook that I love Dateline Mysteries because I, I do. Maybe. I don't know how that happened, but I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did. This was so good. <laughs> Great well, thank you guys. You. I appreciate welcome. it. And I'll, um, so I'll, I'll post some links, um, on the associated website for people listening for, um, just some additional materials. And, yeah. um, all right, Nadine, is there anything you want to promote while you're, you're on here? Any website or anything? No, but there is something I do want to ask. I heard Alex has a beautiful kitchen and I really love kitchens. So can you send me a picture of your kitchen? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he has a, he has an amazing kitchen, and and yeah. it's and it's perfectly spotless because he doesn't cook. But you do you cook in his kitchen? Well, I sometimes go over there to cook. It's rare, um, but he it's very upsetting to him because I I'm like He's a quite messy. I'm a, I'm like a, a tornado going in there, <laughs> and, he, and it like so the the benefit of eating my yummy food is yeah, not offset out, does outweighed. not offset the stress of me ruining his kitchen. Yeah, so I'm not invited over anymore. No, you're invited. It's, it's too much stress. So, but I love to I love kitchens. So if you need any guidance on stuff kitchen related. I am more than happy to help you out. Oh yeah, I I, I took one of your recipes, the one with the um, rigatoni. You like had like some um, beans in it. The oh yeah. All right, good. All right. Well, it was great, great, great catching up with you, and yeah. you have a good night. All right, you too. Thank you, Alex. It was very nice to meet you. You too as well. Thank right, you, Nadine. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.